and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And back in the third chair today, the long-awaited return of Mitch. How are you doing, Mitch? Oh, I'm great. Thanks again for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be back on the show. Yeah, no problem. We decided we needed to class up the joint again after the absolute grimy, gory depravity of Evil Dead last week. And we got exceptionally lucky in the movie that we've chosen today because, much to our surprise, we have a bit of a legacy film here. And by that, I really mean who's involved in making it because we've seen a lot of, you know, Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegases and Blair Witch 2s and remakes of old horror movies, and all this trash, all this just cinematic detritus. And then, in some research, we got extremely lucky, because today, we are watching a movie directed by none other than Martin Scorsese. Cannot believe he ever made a movie that counts for this show. What a gift. And that gift is the film The Color of Money, from 1986. Sequel to The Hustler, from 1961 so it counts fuck off anybody who says it doesn't count and it is a movie that stars paul newman tom cruise mary elizabeth master antonio helen shaver john Turturro, bill cobbs and forrest whitaker edited by thelma schoonmacher written by richard price cinematography by michael bellhaus music by robbie robertson and before we get into this movie we have to talk about martin scorsese because when is it a bad time to talk about Martin Scorsese. Well, if you're talking about Marvel, Marvel movies, it's never a good time to talk about uh, Marty because they're not they're not cinema. I don't I don't know if you've heard. No, they're like roller coaster rides or some yep. other. What is that? What he called them? I don't, re- I don't remember. Like an amusement park. Or amusement like parks. That. Well, Liam and I talked enough about amusement parks last week that we'll avoid that discussion, I think. But Mitch, I'm going to start with you. You're our resident class up the joint guy. What are your thoughts? On Martin Scorsese, huge question. I know, but like, have you seen all of his movies? Have you seen most of his movies? Not a lot of his movies. Do you love him? Do you hate him? Oh, I I love, I love Marty's movies. I think he's, I think he's a wild guy. I think he's great. I think that this is one of his um, most underrated movies for sure. But no, I, I love, I love Martin's movies. I feel like, I feel like he's got great energy, great style that's immediately noticeable. I mean, you know from every frame of this movie that you're watching a Martin Scorsese movie. This this one is kind of one that's, that's been like swept under the rug for a couple of years. It was critically like not super well received. I mean, we know that Paul Newman won an Oscar for this movie, but otherwise, I mean, it, it sort of received lukewarm um, reviews from the critics. And uh, yeah, I think... What? I think it's definitely one of the most underrated ones of his career, like along with The Age of Innocence, of course, which was also shot by Michael Ballhouse. Michael Ballhouse, I think, is one of the, like, the real the real stars of, of this movie and of Martin Scorsese's career. Yeah, I mean, Last Temptation of Christ, too, right? Oh, I'm The Age of Innocence, Gangs of New York, The Departed. I mean, they, they were longtime collaborators. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Martin Scorsese was a big admirer of Rainer Werner Fassbender and... Uh, uh, Ballhouse was Fassbender's uh, chief cinematographer for most of his career from like the early 70s onward until his tragic death. Um, Ballhouse is an interesting cat. Um, uh, of course, your question was about Martin Scorsese, and <laughs> I'm talking about the cinematographer. That's what happens. That's what happens. But, because, like, I don't know. I feel like Scorsese just looms 
so large in everything that you start talking about him and it's very easy to end up talking about a million other important cinematic things because that's just what happens yeah like let's hone it in a little bit talk about like your experience with his movies like what's your what's your favorite what's some stuff about his work that sticks out for you it's about marty's or about or about marty's let's keep it with marty for now okay sure of course um my favorite oh gosh uh, I think my favorite by him is probably Raging Bull, but I love uh, I love The Age of Innocence. I love uh, I think Cape Fear is like a really good contained thriller from the '90s. I love, uh, of course, like you know, Taxi Driver. And, um, yeah, I think I think Marty's a maestro, but I think a lot of his his work in the '80s is kind of um, is kind of forgotten, like the '80s and the late '70s, because a lot of that time. Uh, just like, like After Hours, for example, is another movie that nobody really remembers very well from that period. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure why the '80s wasn't a particularly good good period for him. But I think maybe it's just like when you're as prolific as that. If you have stretches where you're like undefeatable, perfect, mm-hmm. and then maybe have a stretch where you're even slightly less than that, people will just yeah. ignore it. Because I feel like that's what happened in like the early 2010s until the wolf of wall street but there were movies yeah. before that yeah and, oh yeah and i mean raging bull was 1980 so yeah. i mean he he went into the into the decade just like with a with a shot and like i think probably the best movie of his career but um yeah i this is definitely like a sleeper a sleeper hit in his filmography and one that i don't think gets enough respect i was reading wikipedia and I, and I also, you know, saw this on like Siskel and Ebert's show. They both gave this movie a double thumbs down. And that was the only movie what? That, they did, that they did of his entire filmography. Are you Martin. fucking serious? Yeah. And like, I'm, uh, I was kind of astonished to hear that after I, you know. Yeah. Let's yeah. dig into that later because I mean, Siskel and Ebert ain't always right. And uh, I think they might, no. have, they might have whiffed this one a little bit. I think they missed it, but because I think it's, I think it's definitely like one that nobody talks about from his filmography. But yeah. it's, it's one of his I mean, best. It, it's weird because even on this show, we're able to find like one that people genuinely don't know about in his filmography by using our dumb bullshit criteria. But you know, yeah. <laughs> people don't talk about this movie. I wasn't familiar with it at all. And before we get too much deeper in, I want to flip over to Liam because I have no idea where Liam is at in terms of Martin Scorsese. Are you a big fan? Have you seen a lot of his movies? Where do you come down on uh, on old Marty? No, you know what? I thought I had seen a decent amount of his movies until I looked at his filmography and uh, learned that he had shit like this in there. You know, I've seen um, Taxi Driver. I've seen The King of Comedy. I've seen Hugo and I've seen The Wolf of Wall Street. And that's it. Um, so this is my first deep cut of his. Certainly. I like all those movies I just listed. I really like all those movies actually. Um, particularly the King of comedy. I think that's my favorite one. Um, but this was my first, uh, deep cut Martin Scorsese movie. And, uh, I was excited to, to check it out and kind of look for some things that stand out. Um, because all those other movies that I've seen are talked about so much, and this one isn't talked about. And so I was wondering if it would still have that flair and that certain X factor. And, you know, if it didn't, that would explain to me why it didn't get talked about. So I was I was looking out for that. And uh, I tell you what, I saw a whole lot of X factor in this movie. So I, I don't really know what the, what, what the deal was there. Yeah, I, I don't know. And so um, did that mean that, like, 
where were your expectations sitting going in then? Not that I think that Mitch's would be dramatically different, but because you just had less to sort of go off of with his movies. Like, were you anticipating X Factor or were you genuinely prepared just because people didn't talk about it for it to be like, maybe Marty had a dud every now and again? No, I was I was really anticipating X Factor. Um, I think just with a filmography as big as this dude's, you know, you can't have every single one talked about. Steven Spielberg is the same way. He's got some in there that a lot of people would probably rank high up, but um, they're not actually ones that made it huge at the box office. And uh, so when it came to this one, I was thinking... Um, Martin Scorsese is attached to it. I've heard so much about the guy, so I thought that would be cool. Paul Newman is coming back for it. I love the premise, and I was I, 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 it was kind of a movie that I couldn't really understand how you could mess it up because I had read the logline and the way it relates to the first Hustler movie, and it kind of just seems like a, a surefire uh, win, at least from the script perspective, and then you can shoot that however you want. So I was really expecting this to, at the very least, be enjoyable. My expectations, like I have to admit, like they were kind of like they were low for this. Like I've 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 read like that, that a lot of people consider, like I, I mentioned earlier with Siskel Niebert, that it's considered like a, a stinker in his career. So mine were mine were like kind of low, but this movie like subverted them them all and. I, and again, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of like of like the first of the, the Hustler. I think it's like one of like the finest dramas of the of the '60s, and I I love Paul Newman's career. But never yeah, mind the not... fact that you've recently gotten into billiards. Yes, yeah. That... <laughs> Are you trying to shoe in uh, Minnesota you know, we'll, Fats? We'll get, we'll get to him later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But um. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, I don't think tapered expectations are unreasonable. But I can't help but wonder if like. You know, you can lower your expectations, but if it's still Martin Scorsese, like, your expectations are still high, even if they're low comparatively. Mm -hmm. Is that how you felt, or did you were you prepared for it to, like, genuinely be bad? I was prepared to be, like, generally, like, not liking it. And again, I, I watched this movie, like, I watched the first half of it, and I was like, oh, like, I, nah. I, I wasn't I wasn't vibing with it. So then I went to bed, and then I started it, like, from the start again today. And I was like, this movie is incredible. Oh, you like, rewatched well, it from the beginning. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I picked did, it up again from the start because I, I wasn't really paying. I, I don't think I was giving it the attention that it deserved. And uh, it's weird. It's weird, like how your your mindset can can change that. But yeah, I'm totally down with this movie now. Nice. So, but, uh, I want to get into like what the movie is about before we get into what the movie's about, which is that I want to talk about billiards in a second. But for me and Scorsese, I'm a little bit closer to Liam's side in that. I haven't seen a huge percentage of his filmography. I think I've seen a couple more than Liam, but I also haven't seen the same ones as Liam. The flip side being is that I've read about like every single one of his movies in some capacity. I feel like I'm familiar with it, even if I haven't seen every movie of his, like I'm familiar with how he works. So I felt a bit of a familiarity coming into this. And I mean, like we were saying on premise alone, it sounds great and with a creative team behind it like what we have and a cast that we have here like it would have been really really difficult to fuck this up i think um so for anybody who doesn't know uh this movie's about nine ball pool and i'm gonna do everybody a favor by explaining what that is in martin scorsese's own words so nine ball is rotation pool the balls are pocketed in numbered order the only ball that means anything that wins it is the nine 
Now, the player can shoot eight trick shots in a row, blow the nine, and lose. On the other hand, the player can get the nine in on the break, if the brawl is spread right, and win, which is to say that luck plays a part in nine ball. But for some players, luck itself is an art. And what an incredible couple lines to start your fucking movie with. Yeah, and it's, it's read by him, too. Yeah, I, mean, I know. Beautifully delivered. Martin's he's yeah, delivered far better than I just nervously did it to try to not fuck it up. Yeah, he's a good actor. Like, he, he cameos in a bunch of his movies. He's, re- he's a really good in Taxi Driver. But, yeah. I mean, but yeah, it's I, and the, the sh- opening shot of that of just, like, sets the mood perfectly of, like, the smoke-filled bar room and the glass and the chalk. Yeah, so I want to just quick, because I know, I know Mitch knows tons of shit about fucking billiards now, but Liam, um, <laughs> did you know anything about... I'm, I'm also using pool and billiards interchangeably. That's probably wrong. Someone will yell at me later. But Liam, did you know anything about pool? Yeah, I'm a big pool player. I grew up with a pool table in my house. Are you serious? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, and I... And like once the quarantine is over, dude, this movie got me so hyped to go back to the pool hall. I have one in Ottawa that I go to with my friends. Um, So I totally love pool. I've been playing it all my life. It's the reason that I'm a fan of the first movie, The Hustler. Um, My family owns that on VHS tape. So it was one of the first movies I ever saw. And uh, I didn't know that this movie, I didn't know that this movie existed afterward. But I love, love The Hustler. It was actually the first movie that scared me as I was a kid. And now... I've told Corey before that some of the first movies I ever remember watching were uh, An American Werewolf in London and Carrie. So um, I'd probably seen those. I'd probably seen those before The Hustler. But um, in The Hustler, when he gets when he gets his thumbs broken, it was like the scariest thing I had ever seen in my life because it wasn't supernatural at all. And it wasn't played up. It was just it felt so real and absolutely terrified me. Yeah, that, that, um, the, the Hustlers. That's a very, very like a serious and, and gritty movie. Like it, it's that's a. How old were you when you when you saw the Hustler? Oh, dude, I probably would have been like five, six for the first time. <laughs> Damn. And that and that's really that's what stuck with me was the thumb breaking part, you know. And uh, I saw it a couple times um, after that. I hadn't seen it recently at all. Like definitely not in the last. 15 years or so but it's a movie that i've i remember fondly and it's kind of one of my first ever um experiences with cinema certainly my first experience with adult cinema like it felt so out of this world and uh so different than than what i what i ever knew even away from the horror stuff because i just had a natural draw when it came to horror but this was totally out of my wheelhouse and um the Hustler was really big for me, and Pool is really, really big for me. So uh, I knew basically everything they were talking about in this movie, like the opening intro about Nine Ball. I was so in because I love Nine Ball, and um, all the all the stuff about uh, playing Pool and just the shots of them playing Pool totally stuck with me. Um, so I was I was really really into this from the from the get go. Liam, are you good at Pool? Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. Yeah. Nice. I was just curious because I feel like, I don't know, I have played some pool in my day, but like I'm fucking terrible at it. <laughs> like I, it's a fun thing for me to watch people do and I like trying to do it. But every time I try, I'm just like miserable. So I was curious if like I want to know if you felt like you had skills. Could I you, do. Yeah. Could you I mean, hop I've a play- ball over another ball? <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Wait, what? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Dude, holy shit. <laughs> it's practically Minnesota fats. 
<laughs> I mean, like, I'm not saying I could do it and, like, sync the exact shot I want to do, but, like, I've certainly sunk those in my lifetime, for sure. Dude, you're, you just became a lot cooler than you already were. Our first ever podcast meetup with all our fans and, and everyone on this show right now will be at the pool hall. Yeah. We can throw down. Hell fucking yeah, dude. That sounds great. Who's bringing I'm the there. balabushka? I'm there. <laughs> yeah. you, like, look up for the shades I'm going to wear when I when uh, I arrive in there. Mitch gonna is going to be absolutely frosty. Just glacial. No. He's going to roll in with a howling gust. <laughs> do, do, you have a, do you have a pool name, Mitch? Do you have a moniker? Oh, no, but I, I wish I did. Can you think of one in time for the end of the show? Can we all think yeah, of yeah. a pool moniker? Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun idea. Yeah. yeah, I'll see if I can come up with something. Okay, perfect. For, and then... for, what it's, for what it's worth, I'm the butcher. Bruh. The butcher. <laughs> <laughs> what, how did you get that? It, it just felt right. It's just <laughs> it's just who I am. Once you see me play, you'll get it. You're and the pool hall I go up. to, the pool hall that me and my friends go to, we colloquially refer to it as the butcher shop. <laughs> oh, so you're you're in charge of the place, man. You're showing I am everybody in charge who's of boss. The place. That's right. Yeah. Holy shit! This is this is the best. We got this we got the, the best butcher. We've ever made. We got my friend uh, Six Eye. We got Q Ball. We got we got a lot of guys. <laughs> oh Q Ball is he bald or is that just a name? <laughs> he is. He's not exactly bald. He's got kind of a some short hair, but it's the letter Q and then a dash and then Ball. That's it's actually Q-ball. his birth name. Uh. <laughs> his parents named him Q-Ball. He's a, he's a terrible player, but man, does he have a lot of spirit. Hell yeah. It's all, Char- all about character. That's the, that's I was about learning. to say character. It's all about, yeah, character. Right. it's all about character. It's sometimes, uh, sometimes to win, you gotta lose. You gotta lose to win. Um, should, we, should we do a rundown of what this movie is about? Yeah. Uh, Mitch, do you want to do that? Mm. If you, if that didn't sound like a yes. I can do it if you want. I'm... No, you, you do do it. You do it. Yeah. <laughs> this, is your, this is your show. I mean, sure, but you know, you're the you're our uh, you're our Ben Mank. You're our resident class it up guy. But I will get into no. it here. So we have Eddie Felson, fast Eddie Felson. He's the titular hustler from the Hustler, and um, his pool playing days, and by extension, his well, his hustling days aren't really behind him. He's continuing to do that, but. He's not playing pool anymore, and when we see him, he is selling liquor to um, a woman that he is sort of, like, with, named Janelle. They're, like, hanging out at a bar. He's talking. He's like, dude, this old McDonald, this shit tastes so good. I can get it for you dirt cheap. I got this in a warehouse. I'll get you fake labels. We'll class it up. And anyway, they're talking. We're seeing them go, and then we see that Eddie's getting distracted, um, because he hears what I believe he describes as a thunder shot of a break from Vincent Loria, who is being played by a young Tom Cruise, who is over there just absolutely slaying on the pool table to the point where nobody will challenge him anymore to play. He just goes and plays the arcade game Stalker, uh, which is like a car racing game for anybody who's not familiar with it. And um, of course you know it. <laughs> well, I mean, you can also see it in the movie, but I mean, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And um, Eddie just can't help this fixation that he immediately gets for um, Vincent and uh, his girlfriend, Carmen, who is clearly part of this, like, pseudo grift they have going where Vince is clearly the best and they're playing money games. So he goes over, he starts, gets to talking, you know, he's feeling them out. And um, it's clear that they don't really know what they have on their hands, but Eddie sees potential in the character as we've said in the charisma and the raw talent that these people have 
and sort of propositions them to get like to teach them the art of both pool hustling and set them up so they can make a lot of money really fast. There's a tournament coming up in Atlantic City. Um, he sort of, you know, works them a bit, greases the wheels. Carmen gets interested first. We, she is like a vaguely criminal backstory. And um, Vincent is a bit more um, naive and hard to convince. He, I think he, it seems like he thinks about things in a lot simpler terms. Like he's like, I'm the best at pool. I want to continue being the best at pool. I'm with Carmen. She's great. We're doing really well. I don't know if I want in on this like sleazy dudes deal, but um, after being gifted with a stick and sort of like manipulated a little bit, um, he gets interested and they set off on the road. And while they're on the road, they tour these various pool halls with uh, Vincent being used as what's called a stake horse, which is basically they're using him as a method to make a ton of money on bets and money games, which sort of revolves around, you know, dumping games at times or like losing a lot in the in a row, setting yourself way down in the odds and then mounting comebacks that gets your money back and then a ton extra from people knowing who to play against and who not to play against, knowing how to present yourself in these various circumstances. And they sort of have this series of ups and downs where Vincent, I think is really struggling with just what he's like as a person and his sort of competitive spirit and his need to be the best at this with the mechanics of hustling. Meanwhile, I think it's becomes pretty evident pretty quickly that this is less about Vincent and Carmen for Eddie than it is Eddie sort of getting his groove back because he was kind of feeling the allure of the sport again and he says at one point something the effect of like Vincent helped him remember what it like felt like in his blood to just be like, hell yeah, I want to fucking play some pool. And um, after they have a bit of a falling out where he sort of sends them on the road, Eddie uses this as an opportunity to get himself back in the game, um, both the hustling and um, just his own skills, which is what happens after he gets just dumpstered by a pool hound named Amos, played by Forrest Whitaker, just gets absolutely taken for a ride. And um, they end up reconnecting at that Atlantic City pool tournament, the Nine Ball Classic, I think is what it's called. And um, in that, we have them have this sort of final match but later we discover that um well eddie thought he had his groove back um vincent carmen come over with his cut of the money because he took a dump for he took a dump he took a dive jesus <laughs> christ um, <laughs> he says he dumped it he though. dumped the game but just the fr- it's all about the phrasing yeah i don't think he took a dump <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and uh, it ends it ends with eddie insisting that uh they play in the green room because Eddie, as he had mentioned previously, just because you win doesn't mean you're the best at a given tournament. And the guy cleaning up in terms of money, which is what the hustle is about, could be in the back just fucking cleaning up. So uh, right before the movie ends, he yells, I'm back. <laughs> and uh, the movie ends. And to be and honest, he takes a huge dump. <laughs> to be honest, I could have watched this movie for like three more hours. I yeah, couldn't I believe too. that's where the movie stopped. I was so upset. Yeah, I, I, was, I wanted more so bad. Because, like, but, like, you know, Orson Welles said, like, you know, the lesson of a happy ending is, like, you know, where do you put your ending, right? And yeah. so, like... That's I a great like I, place to end it. Because, like, it's one of those things where it's like Eddie says, where it's like, if I don't beat you now, I'll beat you in Houston. And if I don't beat you then, I'll beat you in New Orleans. Like, yeah. it'll come. So it's not about who wins. It's about Eddie sort of, like, getting back in his feet. <laughs> 
really yeah. it's not really about what vincent and carmen are doing at all mm-hmm. because they're sort of used as um not leverage but they're used as a tool i think ultimately in eddie's ability to like gain his own confidence back less than i think it starts more as a mentorship but then when he realizes that vincent's kind of unwieldy both in his just like raw charisma and energy but in his inability to play in a certain way that it becomes a lot more about eddie like getting back on his own kind of groove yeah he learns i think he learns from from maybe vincent's mistakes in a way yeah or remembers Uh, like what it was like to do it before yeah because that like the- that um that match against Forrest Whitaker's character is so illuminating too, mm-hmm. because like you can see the gears turning, of like, hang on a minute, am I getting taken for a fucking ride? Yeah. And he starts like and trying that- to work it out of him, and it just breaks him in this very specific way where he's like, this is about myself now. And, and Forrest Whitaker's performance in that scene is really really interesting because he started. There's a lot of discussion about character and being a character and guys that would that would kill to have like that kind of mm-hmm. character. Some guys work all their life to work up that kind of character. And I think like the unique kind of charisma he brings to that scene is, is so bizarre. Like when he talks about being experimented on, yeah, he's got such a bizarre presence, but then the use of montage and Schumacher, Schumacher, um, the way that she edits that scene and the way that she edits like the slow decline. And then finally there's like that outburst in the stairwell. God, it's beautiful. That's just like incredible. That's it's an incredible like tantrum on uh, uh, from on everybody's from, part, basically. Especially from Tom Cruise, and I wasn't sold on his performance like until that point. Oh, I um, was I was in on Tom. Oh, Cruise. I knew, yeah, yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> but uh, no, I I wasn't sold on his character. But then you kind of see like a a, a change in his character arc. Um, yeah, he and becomes I, somebody else, but I think for me it's just he's so charismatic the whole fucking time. But he really does know. have this like youthful naivete about it where like it's not that he doesn't know what he's doing, but he's just kind of childish. Like, but I found it really compelling just that he was this like showboaty young kid who just knew that he was really fucking good at something. Yeah. <laughs> another another thing that's uh maybe this is I mean Paul Newman kind of becomes what George C. Scott was in the in the first Hustler for like a little while. I feel like like that kind of dynamic, and when you consider like how this sequel care, like carries on from the other, um, and how he kind of like adopts everything that he that he resents, I think is really interesting in, in his development. Um, yeah. So but again, is Chalkies in the original movie? Uh, the place that they go like a couple times because it's they I, they present think... it as looming large. I think so, but Lincoln's like the the place that they go up to, and it's full of uh, of like furniture. That's like the place where where Eddie Felson has like the greatest, most important games of his young career. Okay, sure. Um, but I, I I can't remember what Chalkies. I don't think so. Okay, so now that we've kind of got that initial plot set up out of the way, I want to talk about the performances first. Sure, that's because a great place. Holy, there isn't a bad one in the movie. First of all. And I'm not hugely surprised by that, but I want to know, maybe we'll start with Liam. Like, what did you make of that, like, core trio in the movie? I I loved all three of them, which really surprised me because um, 
So I thought that this movie was going to be about Eddie and Vincent at the most. Um, I thought there was a good chance that one of them would be pushed to the wayside. This was going to end up being actually a movie about the new kid or it was going to be a movie about Eddie getting his groove back. I didn't expect this to be a trio piece. And um, once that was made clear to me, I certainly didn't expect to have like just as much stake in all three characters. I thought the way they were written... Um, and the way that that tied into the performances made them all feel like they had agency. They all felt like real people that were approaching this um, this part of their lives from different angles. Like it's not as simple as Vincent just like wants to be like Eddie, and so Eddie takes him under his wing in a sort of Karate Kid fashion because i was worried about that for a little bit but vincent is very much his own person he's not just a young eddie i thought carmen is really powerful and sees the game in a different way from the both of them she's not just there on vincent's arm the entire time and i think the performances had a huge part to do with that i i loved watching um Eddie talked to Carmen right at the very beginning when, when he's trying to uh, get her to let him play Vincent with, uh, you know, like 500 bucks. Um, yeah. And the camera just stays focused on Eddie and you have Carmen's profile and they just have this conversation for about two minutes. I thought they were just like both able to hold my attention so strongly. I thought... Um, I was really into Tom Cruise as well. I haven't seen a whole lot of his movies. Um, so despite knowing he's Tom Cruise, I was kind of able to take him as this character uh, pretty easily without associating him with a bunch of other characters. And I thought he very much felt like um, a real kind of like boneheaded but confident and passionate 20-something-year-old dude. Like the way he gets protective over um, Carmen when Eddie is feeling her up for the bit they're doing or the way he's protective of Carmen when they walk into a new pool hall that looks kind of grimy, uh, the way that he sings around the pool table when Warehouse Wolves of <laughs> London was on. I just think that they all just like did these really small things and then these really big things that made them all feel super real to me. And, uh, you know, even, you're right, Corey, every performance in this movie is good. I thought Forrest Whitaker's scene... Um, was fantastic. I'm sure we'll get into that later, but I was totally captivated by him the entire time. So much so that I was like, I need to watch every Forrest Whitaker movie now. That was amazing. And then even Martin Scorsese at the beginning, I had no idea that was his voice, but I wrote down in my notes as I was watching this movie as the opening monologue, um, brief monologue finished, I wrote, I love the voice of the man doing the opening narration. I love Nine Ball. And I thought that was, that might have been, I thought it might have been Paul Newman or at least some sort of character that was going to show up. But no, it's just a disembodied voice teaching you about Nine Ball. And so I thought it was, it was yeah. tight from start to finish. Yeah. I love that Scorsese doesn't shy away from doing like... Um non-diegetic shit in his movies like just unrelated to like well before this movie starts we may as well explain to you what nine ball is <laughs> like here we go <laughs> um, or like having yeah. a montage just sort of appear in the middle of a sequence because i feel like and we can get into this after because this is a huge segue but um or um, a tangent rather but uh the way the game of pool is shot and presented um relies a lot on like really great montage as well but definitely um we're still on characters though i know because there's a lot to get through 
Um, There's a lot of we're gonna be here forever this is gonna be a long one yeah but then like even you know john Turturro, we haven't talked about yet and he really only shows up a couple of times but you really get this sort of like um jilted former partner vibe because that was eddie's previous protege and he feels like he's getting boxed out for no good reason just because at the beginning of the movie he wasn't able to beat vincent so he's seeing that just in terms of like what all it took is for me to fucking lose once to this random guy and now I'm just out. Like he's like Paul Newman, you're a piece of shit. Like what the fuck? And he's yeah, got this great sort of air of um, both confidence and like a smarmy, like yeah, fuck you, man. Like why are you I doing love, me I like this? Any movie John Turturro's in, I'll, I'll watch. Yeah, uh, I especially love the, like the interesting outliers from like his from his earlier career. Like he's great in like To Live and Die in L.A. He's got another like small role in that. Um, his yeah. stuff from the eighties. I feel like he's. Great. I feel like. Um, aside from like Barton Fink where he just crushes like I feel like I love him as like a smaller role kind of actor he's a character actor yeah he he is Um, and sometimes that character is the lead and then other times it's not Um, it's usually usually not the lead yeah well I mean I'm I'm only really referencing like Barton Fink with that he's the lead but it's such a goofy strange thing we don't need to talk about Barton Fink right now no, but, it's not your usual movie. Yeah, uh, uh, but I also want to give credit to a uh, Helen Shaver, who as Janelle is captivating in her own way of like wanting to be with Eddie and like understanding the sort of like um, all over the place like mind is always a few steps ahead, like focused on the hustle kind of guy that he is, without being willing to take any of his shit, but playing along with him. Like that opening conversation they have about the old McDonald whiskey or whatever it is is just awesome. And she's just like right here with them, like beat for beat, making it happen. Um the thing that sticks out when I think of them together is that sequence where they're dancing and this camera is circling the room and in the middle of the room there's a fucking mirrored pole that they're yeah. um, going out it's it's it, i don't even know how you think of that i don't know how you think of that visually no, to put it in your Actually, movie but it's so it's such an interesting visual <laughs> like yeah and seeing thought, them just like together dancing through it man it's so good i thought she was a bit underwritten to be honest she, uh, she i think she does great with what she has but i don't disagree that she's definitely yeah. sort of window dressing Sort of an absentee uh, character. Yeah. But no, like, I think I think like the I think I found the early, the first half of the movie to be a bit dull, to be honest. Like I, I especially the first time through, like when I when I Paul Newman kind of carried that first bit in my opinion. Um, but man, like Paul Newman is great. Paul Newman is a is a favorite in my household. We have him in our refrigerator. I don't know if you've ever uh, played around with Newman's own great brand. Great what is wait wait what <laughs> you never heard about you've never had seen paul newman's salad dressing company no it has his face printed on it and uh yeah his <laughs> garlic dressing is superb he puts all the proceeds to charities he also makes this cabernet sauvignon okay um, well go to your uh, i know uh, it's a pandemic right now but when you get to go to the store maybe try supporting paul newman yeah well actually <laughs> The state doesn't take the money; it all goes to charity. Paul Newman was a wonderful philanthropist. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm saying Paul Newman the brand. You gotta go well, support you, Paul Newman, Newman the brand. Newman's own. That's what it's called. Sure. Paul Newman's in my fridge, man. He's probably in the listeners' fridge too. Somebody's but, fridge is full of Paul Newman right now. Yeah, my fridge is full of Paul Newman. But anyway, um, is your fridge full of Paul Newman? Well, then you better go <laughs> catch it. 
but uh yeah i think some of paul newman's best work was in the 80s like i don't know if either of you have seen the verdict by sydney lumet from 1982 but that's like that's like uh, in my money like one of the best movies i want to see that just based on the title is it a legal drama it's the it's my favorite legal drama that movie absolutely crushes james James mason is like the other lawyer and paul newman's another one great movie i want to but yeah, and then like I, I realized later that like halfway through that the the woman who plays Carmen is, is in is in Scarface. Yeah. She plays Gina in Scarface. Yeah. I had like that was wild. Yeah, um, I, I realized that uh, when I looked the movie up after watching, it, I was like, no shit. Like, I was like, where have I seen her? Where have I seen her? Scarface. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. I think, but all that is to say that I think uh, I think Paul Newman is like he he's like the the glue that that pulls it together. Yeah. Guys are, as a master I, this I, is a work of two old masters yeah um, i think it's crazy how long we've been saying that martin scorsese's work is the work of an old master when you consider that the irishman just came out pretty much yeah. <laughs> and like we're saying the same thing that we said about a movie that he made 25 no way older than that the 80, 1986 that. was like 40 years ago 35 years yeah. ago um, i was an old master then i can't do math but um, I think one of the things that I really liked about this movie, because I was pretty sold, as we've said on Tom Cruise early, um, is that you genuinely do feel, um, when we spend a lot of time with Paul Newman by himself, that when we get back to Vincent as a character, there has been a meaningful change there when sort of forced out on their own, that he develops the kind of mental sensibility required to do the hustle that sounds like I'm talking about the dance. I need to figure out what the fuck I'm using words um, to do the grift effectively because they've developed a system. They have it going and um, he's sort of transitioned from like, you know, childishly flexing on people to this kind of like confident machismo. I'm better than you, um, mm-hmm. which was always kind of there. But I think early on, so much of it feels like a kid who knows he's good at something and it stops feeling like that. And it starts feeling more about like a guy who knows he's better than you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that transition speaks a lot to both um, Eddie's influence on the character and also just like what the scene that they exist in does to you if you're in it long enough. Because that's even only over the course of like a month and a half. But like if you want to exist in that system, you have to sort of make that change for yourself pretty much right away. And I think Carmen is a lot more willing to accept that and was prepared a lot sooner to make those um performances and make those sort of changes and even sacrifices potentially to make the grift work in a way Mm -hmm. that watching vincent work up to i thought was really compelling because even when they're on the road and they're like in diners he's still he's like i'm an animal baby woohoo and he's just very like like a goofy kid and he's i felt like because i was with him early like when they're talking at fucking child world and he's selling like a baby swing and he's got that same sort of charisma that when you see it kind of harden into like an adult's charisma it was interesting it was interesting yeah. to see the change oh i i have a i have a, another point to add maybe not so much about a character but it's about like the appeal of the movie sure um, i mean you know I, just you know we're in it yeah i love i love movies that that take you into worlds that you know nothing about or very yeah. little about, yeah. And like, or just like a like a swift guide that just sort of deftly carry you through, through like these these. I know nothing about like about pool hall gambling and and 
and or just like you know mass broadcasted televised pool i mean i wrote in my notes that if pool is a religion atlantic city is the church because like that's just how like, they film it and i had no idea that that this it was it was such a big deal and Yo, there was like can we talk about the the reveal shot of all the pool tables lined up in the hall and it just sort of like cascades over them really feels oh. like pews in a church yeah Absolutely. it's electric yeah electric and the, like you wouldn't think of just like guys just balls and sticks as they say you know uh, just these guys hitting around balls on, on a on a table of felt but uh, i mean the mythology and like this this world that that we know nothing about is at least i knew nothing about is is so fascinating and and so packed with drama and and personal stakes it's, i don't know it, i love it when movies are are set off the back of something obscure like that i mean even it's less about obscurity but i think it's also something inherent to a really good sports movie which is kind of what this is i know you like you can yeah. argue the the sports level of pool but it it almost feels a bit like a boxing movie or a baseball movie yeah in the I was same way boxing. yeah boxing movies are kind of occupy a similar kind of smarmy um yeah it's about it's as much about sort of like um charisma and charm and sort of the character of the of the people involved and it's also a lot more individualized because it's a one-on-one game and crookedness it's about it's about like a level of dishonesty and a level of um yeah for sure i think that's a great analogy to make and i think you know, this is as good a segue as any. I think the way that they shoot the game being played speaks a lot to how you're supposed to understand the game in the context of the story. Because pretty early on, um, Paul Newman's character says that nine ball is for, it's like, that's the young man's game compared to other variations of pool. And also that it's sort of become infected with drugs and it's it's alluring for a young man because it's harder and it's faster. And that's just showier. the way that it's showier. You 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 have flash, but I think that it's really interesting the way that they juxtapose, um, just the sheer strength of the game. Like those breaks are so loud and so cutting, and every hit of the ball is so felt, like it's impactful. But there is a degree of finesse, and it's two different brands of finesse. I feel like you get Eddie Felsen finesse. Um, especially once he's got his shades later on and he's just a bit of a tactician on the table or yeah. you get Tom Cruise fucking hooting and hollering dancing to werewolves of London, literally basically telling someone to fuck off because he's dancing them under the table. Like it's two different brands of the same kind of thing. And I think it's that combined with how impactful the game feels that really ups the stakes and makes you think like, this isn't just like, it's if you combined boxing and chess almost because it's got this sure. weight to it, but it's also got this, um, you have a lot of shots of um, sort of thinking and processing. I feel like there's a lot of great shots of Tom Cruise really tight, close up examining the table. Yeah. I mean, Martin Scorsese said himself that when he was, when he, I read this on Wikipedia that he, he said that the inspiration for those shots were the work of Michael Powell and Emmett Pressburger and black narcissists with the close-ups on the nuns. Bam, he said bam, that, bam. Someone ring the black narcissist alarm. Mitch is talking and, uh, about black narcissists again. And actually, just like an interesting connection. I mean, <laughs> Thelma Schumacher was married to Michael Powell, who directed black narcissists. I don't know. Oh, Martin really? Scorsese introduced them. Yeah. Wow. Kind of a, a weird, a weird connection of, uh, of inspiration and, and, People who worked, I don't know, Hollywood's a weird interconnected town. That's a really but. great um, religious connection, too, between Poole and we're speaking about in religious terms. And then if he's you, using yeah. that um, sort of a mutual, yeah. 
Yeah, it's and I, part I, of this I, movie I, feels very much like it's about. Um, it feels like a journey of faith for Eddie Eddie's character, but it's it's not faith in something. It's faith in himself that he's lost. Like he's lost his way, and I feel like the experience of trying to rear something great out of Vincent and Carmen, which I guess ultimately is accomplished to a degree is also Eddie's ability to like, it's his like return to the church. Right. Like, right. Right. And the, for a while there, you say, you know, is what is his, cause so many of Martin's movies are about Martin. Haha. We're on first and turn basis. So many of his movies are about, are about like faith and about, and so I was like, well, what is what is Eddie's faith? And for a while, it seems like it's maybe greed, but it turns out that that it's it's about the game, it's about the skill, and uh, and I think the greed is part of that. the game. Like I think it's baked yes. into what what his understanding of it is. Uh, it's called the color of money, which incidentally is the same color as pool tables. But, That's true, uh, Liam. Did you know that? I I mean, I knew it somewhere in my brain, but I didn't think <laughs> about it. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good revelation, but uh, yeah, Liam, I haven't heard from you in a while. What what are you? Uh, what do you think? Let's talk about what you think about what the movie's like aesthetically. Aesthetically, oh, aesthetically, I was absolutely captivated. Um, the way they shoot the pool, it's like uh, there's some Evil Dead shots in there where the camera is like following the ball and um, the volume of the breaks, Corey. It's like you so said, loud. they just slap you. There was this one point where. Um, uh, when Eddie almost sinks the nine ball right on the break and both uh, Vincent and Eddie go, damn! And right before they did that, I did the same thing because you're just seeing someone break up some balls, but the way it's shot and like the emotion behind it, the buildup until that point just absolutely slaps. I think a, a boxing movie is great, uh, a great comparison. I think that's why I was so interested in this once I heard the premise because I, uh, I love boxing movies i love rocky um raging I thought, bull. yeah and raging bull knowing that he did that movie um i totally understood that he would do the same thing for pool so that got me so excited and um unlike pool i'm not a boxer but uh there's just like you said Corey. there's like a charm and a charisma and a grittiness um behind boxing and also behind pool and so it's a great comparison and um it's also something that a lot of people might not like find interesting and might not see the chess behind you know just some dudes punching each other or just some dudes hitting some balls but i think when uh it's shot in a in a in a way that take seriously the emotion behind each shot and each punch then it's likely that the audience will feel it if they're invested enough you know um my girlfriend watched this with me and she's not a pool player like i am and so she told me that she had a bit of trouble connecting with um the way that the the movie is just really like all about these guys relationships with pool and and she didn't see the uh the heart in it um and she just thinks that pool is boring and that's totally fair you've got to have like the the interest to sort of grapple grasp on to the thing that's being portrayed you know i think if this were like a a movie about some dudes like really intently riding horses she would be into it because i think i think horse riding just watching it happen is like kind of boring and samey um but to her that's something there's a lot of emotion behind and so i think uh 
this movie really manages to capture the emotion behind pool, certainly in the way it's shot. And so I was really, I was into it the whole way through when it comes to that. I also could have watched another few hours of this movie. Before Marty uh, leaves this mortal coil, he needs to get into a gritty equestrian politics movie. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Imagine dude. Um, Wow. So something that I also am thinking about because we're talking about the, um, how the game feels um cinematically and i'm thinking back to uh when that tournament starts and every table breaks simultaneously doesn't that feel like the opening rally of like a war battle kind of yeah like it feels like this barrage and then you see each sort of general at their own side of the table like working as a tactician and then you're trying to see like oh like are their strikes going to land? Are they going to hit the enemy where they need to? There's so many different metaphors you can use to understand the way the game's being played, but every single one of them makes it feel so grand and poetic the whole time. And then that's juxtaposed, or not juxtaposed, but that is um sort of united with the way it is presented, especially when you get into sort of the rapid passage of games where you're getting the montages of just like balls going here and there and people intently looking and money changing hands and this and that and you're just like fuck man like where are we like so and much is montage, going on the montage is exquisite like yeah. Thelma was always a like a, she's a, a genius <laughs> like editor like i can understand why marty didn't work with anybody else but like this movie i think like really really showcases her her um her ability and like understanding of making a good montage combined with Michael Ballhouse, who again is another longtime Marty collaborator, like damn, like just like, what they're able to do with a simple game is like, is it just astonishing how it's they a can murderer's build that row of talent? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then like, Man. like, so later in the movie, Paul Newman's got his groove back. Right. And there's even, even something so simple as Paul Newman or Eddie, whatever, is practicing shots like he just has balls lined up and he's like pocketing them just casually and just sort of presented you know like from a little bit high up and you're just sort of watching him doing he's got his like new glasses he was literally he literally couldn't see um he wasn't joking when he said he was blind um but even just it, it feels so simple but every decision made and how that's presented in its simplicity is so important to making you give a shit about him learn like relearning the game <laughs> that yeah. it's so compelling to watch him just like very patiently knock some balls around like and, and, you, and, and on money. paper that's not interesting but then it becomes interesting yeah and to see him you know like the i think part of the skill of the of the, of the appeal of these montages is just like seeing the people that he's playing against and how he's slowly like he's taking money from from old ladies yeah or or, and it's just sort of like the the kind of people he's playing with are, are slowly changing, changing, and he goes right back to basics. Then all of a sudden, he's back to Atlantic City. And, but it's all done very skillfully in this montage, where they're just showing you what you need to see and nothing else. Yeah, for sure. And um, I love the way sort of Eddie getting his groove back. And we've come back to this a few times, but um, when Vincent plays Moselle. And he's just so fucking animated. Like, I feel like that's the perfect juxtaposition in the two different ways they're approaching the game. Because, like, Paul Newman would not showboat that way. Yeah. But Tom Cruise will fucking showboat all over the goddamn place. Yeah, I, I had another... I just had, like, another thought. It's kind of a... Maybe not... Like, the, the sequence where Paul Newman, like, 
I guess, where he forfeits the game to the guy wearing like the the, the do rag or whatever. Yeah. Where he forfeits, or he forfeits the game and he walks up and and gives Tom Cruise his money back. I feel like if Pool is a church, he's like, what does? And if greed is part of that faith, like, what does that? What does that mean in like the grander picture of things? Like that that Terry is it? Like I feel like there's a couple different ways you can interpret it. You could almost interpret it as, um if not confession, like repenting. Yeah. Um, like he feels as though it's, it's, it's unearned, right? It's basically dirty money because he yeah. wasn't, it, he wasn't in on the grift to the level that everybody is supposed to be on these sort of even footings where they're all sort of part of this thing. So he's like, I don't want this. This is not, yeah. this is not conducive to how this church runs. And then Marty's very like like I said a very religious filmmaker. I mean, he wanted to be a priest before he became a film director. But he like there's the there's so many like biblical allegories within his movies. Like if you think about like and then the Bible there's so many stories about ill-gotten money and and you know Jesus throwing a temper tantrum in the temple when he sees people selling and changing hands of money in the temple. Bold I don't know. to describe it as a I temper could... tantrum from Jesus Christ. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was just really good. I like that. I'm a lively Catholic, but um, <laughs> anyway, um, I, I made I made that connection. I don't know. Yeah, if that's, well, and I think that if you want to carry this allegory even further, there is this sort of um, like the mentorship that Eddie provides. If you um, take sort of where Vincent and Carmen are and where they go, it's sort of like. Um, like a baptism and a trial by fire to understand where they could be. Right. Or like welcoming them into this fold where, um, there are rules and there are things that you do and you don't do. There's a code that's pre-established that, uh, Eddie is bothered because Tom Cruise's character keeps fucking breaking it and not listening. And it feels like he's trying to sort of teach them commandments almost. If we really want to ride this religious allegory further, because, um, it's like every time Tom Cruise doesn't listen for Eddie, it's like committing a sin against the grift and the game. It's selling mm-hmm. the game. <laughs> like, right. Oh, it's so fucking good. Holy shit. Um, you, earlier you described something as, uh, as electrifying. Um, I thought this whole fucking movie was electrifying. That's the word I kept coming back to. I've, I don't remember the last time I watched a movie and I felt so like energized in my seat. Not even just when the game is being played, but there's just something about it that feels kinetic and lively, even in moments where they're just like sitting and talking. But even sitting and talking isn't just that. Like earlier you were talking about when they sort of have their falling out and they're in the stairwell and they're fighting and arguing and like they're shouting back and forth and they're trying to get in the same like Tom Cruise is ripping the, the banister out of the wall. And like there's just so much to keep you going but even two people talking in this movie is equally electrifying compared to just the pageantry of the game itself and i was talking about um eddie and carmen talking at the beginning of the movie and um how compelling it is for her to just explain how she and vincent got together and just like that criminal kind of backstory that she has and that she's talking down to about vincent in a way almost where he's just like a good kid and she's like somebody who just like knows more about the world than he does and that ultimately proves to be true but just the cadence and the rhythm of people talking 
and the way that's cut together is as interesting to me as the game itself, which I think is such a huge credit to the movie. Yes, yeah, I I love movies like that. Um, just people talking like this gives me, uh, gives me Rocky vibes, of course, Creed vibes. It gives me Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross vibes, Social Network. It's just a movie that's like it's really it's it's just actually about people talking it's just tied around some sort of hook you know boxing facebook real estate it's just a hook to get people in and uh once you kind of get your filmmaking chops around how to shoot that that main hook how to shoot the boxing and and how to talk about you know facebook then uh then you can really just let these people talk and and write it out and and make it strong and put all your all your work into these characters and that's all there for this movie too. I was I was in uh, whenever they weren't playing pool and even when they are playing pool, I mean, so much of it is just them talking, right? Like they hit a shot, but then they say something, and so yeah, it's uh, it's that kind of movie. Oh, I need to I want to mention um to another great scene because it's so it's such a great piece of characterization is when Tom Cruise is gifted the Balabushka q and he wants to show carmen but he can't find her and i think if i remember correctly eddie sort of clues into this and has carmen go outside and then come back in and they just he's so possessive at that point it's not protective right it's possessive that he didn't know where she went for like five minutes and he literally doesn't know how to function anymore (laughs) like that illustrates so much about what he's like and well, I mean, the way he you, like fixates on things. Mind you, I mean Eddie kind of like sowed a seed of paranoia. Oh, like in he does, him. but it's also sort of attached to something that was already kind of evident from the very beginning, which is how attached Vincent is to her. That Eddie is manipulating the shit out of him, a hundred percent. But I think that that scene does a good job of showing how that's coming along, right? Um, because I think that sort of tension is necessary for Eddie to be able to sort of do the teaching that he does. But yeah, he's definitely implanting like seeds of doubt and concern. He literally says, Oh yeah, I was talking to her and like, she's packing her bags, pal. Like, Oh, then I'm, then I'm glad I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was so funny. Fuck. Want to talk about how great the music is? Oh yeah. That's, that's like a staple of any Marty movie. It really is. Yeah. That uh, we've talked about Werewolves of London several times already. Great, great fucking needle drop. That um, <laughs> music from Robbie Robertson, who is again just like prolific at this point. Like, there's so many people involved in the making of this movie. Where it's like, what are you supposed to say about them that people haven't kind of said already? You can say they got good names. They, Robbie Robertson's a killer name. It's right up there with Ballhouse. Man, I didn't know this, but like Ballhouse had his first movie like working with uh with max ophels oh really yeah he was just an extra on ophels's last movie that's wild that was his first career it was and uh like when he was working with um with fassbender i mean marty was like a huge admirer of fassbender and some of the work that he did for fassbender is just like electrifying i mean like if you look at uh, the bitter tears of petra von kant mm-hmm. um uh, visually that movie is kind of um it's like Ballhouse, like emulating the films of Douglas Sirk. Uh, he was such a diverse, like, stylist. Eh, um, eh, sorry, I have to ring the Douglas Sirk alarm. Mitch started talking about Douglas Sirk again. Like, I feel like so many movies that are, you know, stylish. 
And the thing that, but the main thing that separates like the stylists from like the decorators is like when like the style like matches like the the or the style is like a function of like the narrative and of like of like the the storyline. It doesn't it, it complements it, but it also like helps in telling that story. And I think that this is like a movie that does that like really oh, really yeah. well. I I don't think this movie could look any differently than it does, right? Like mm-hmm. this movie to tell this story has to look like this. For example, like I love uh, Nicholas Wending Refn movies, but he is very much uh, the style is going to inform the movie, not the movie yeah. is going to inform the style, right? Like, and that's yeah, what we're getting here. Yeah, and, he's, he, and he's, he's amazing at it, but it's a very different yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel like I feel like the work that the Ballhouse did for for um, Fassbender and the work that he did for for Scorsese very like it, like the form like complements like the the narrative and yeah it, it, and then yeah. with with thelma like thelma again first name basically like so does the edit like everything yeah. just coalesces and again bringing it back so does the music um yes so does for anybody who doesn't know robbie robertson you might know him from the band like the band the band um obviously did music with uh raging bull casino the departed irishman you know he gets around He's a guy, works with Scorsese, and um, I don't know, I just feel like the, the soundtrack for this movie just fucking rules. Like, it feels, yeah. like, I don't have anything poetic to say about this part, it's just really good. Like, Marty's like a music <laughs> guy, like, have you, have any of you seen, like, The Last Waltz? It's, like, one of the greatest concert films. Oh, he knows oh, oh he, it's, yeah, um, the, fuck. Uh, Talking Heads, right? That's not um, making sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Last Waltz, the last waltz. is... It's a bunch of musicians from like the sixties. It's just like a collection. Of, yeah. And the oh, and, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, but uh, the music in this film, I think, uh, combined with the editing, is like, like the last like hour of this movie is just like almost plays like a music video. Yeah, well, that's what it's I was gonna not... say. I feel like this movie. It's it's funny because we're talking so much about how important the characterization, the dialogue, the script is so strong. Those conversations are so well put together. I feel like this movie works if you take everything but the music out too. Like it's still, yeah. it still plays the same. But you've got, you've got like such a varied like scope of the soundtrack. Like a lot of it's like classic rock, but then all of a sudden you have like Giuseppe Verdi, like Vapensiero as he's getting like his eye exam, right? Yeah. Like it's like, it's like all over the place. It's so like grandiose. And, yeah. And, and it gives that eye exam such weight. Like it's so yeah. significant and it's shot so simply, but that zoom into the, uh, like I don't know what it's what the apparatus is called that tests your vision, but like that slow zoom into like his eye and then um him getting those glasses and just like the triumph of the moment is in the way it's presented, like um Yeah, it's and so, it dissolves. Yeah, it's so grandiose and I feel like um it sort of helps mark a transitional point in the movie because there is a point where the movie sort of gets away from the grit and the grime of some of these earlier pool halls. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, when you're getting into music like that, you're sort of feeling it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I wrote in my, I wrote in my notes, Atlantic city is Eddie Felsen. (laughs) Because that town is just like him. It's like a dirty, rotten, (laughs) but, but well, and that's the thing where it's like internally, it's got all of these sort of like machinations and, um schemes and stuff but on the outside it's very put together right like well, you know yes he's got no, it is but i mean like you know eddie felson's got the car he's got the clothes he's got the aura of like a well-to-do rich person yeah. but it it's it's skin deep 
But Atlantic City is maybe by this point a little bit past its prime. Perhaps, and so like is he, film. right? Yeah. yeah. But I think that Atlantic City on paper, perhaps maybe to somebody less well acquainted with it, still has that sort of veneer that mm-hmm. Eddie Felsen has that maybe he's getting back. Maybe he's – um, I think it's also um, in terms of – maybe how Eddie Felsen feels about himself and how Atlantic City presents itself to the world is that moment where he wins and he steps outside and like fist pumps yeah. and just gets really excited. He allows himself like one moment where the walls come down. And I feel like that self-congratulation is a great thing that just sort of paints like what that city feels like. It's a place yeah. where people um, covered in somewhat garish, attempts at wealth fucking self-congratulate themselves yeah anybody who wants to see more about about this movie should or about atlantic city should watch the movie atlantic city with burt lancaster from 1980 Uh, uh, sorry i'm bringing the burt lancaster alarm you're three for three pal yeah i I couldn't resist (laughs) no i love it i i i don't i don't dislike it i couldn't think of another word um yeah you should really see it it's by louis mal a great french film director um have we talked about the opening credits yet with just the cigarette smoke because that shit slaps yeah (laughs) it does indeed slap yeah yeah it's really good um can we talk about the movie's use of reflections because there's a few good reflections in this movie. reflections and like shooting through panes of glass like dirty panes of glass yeah and maybe how that like uh it's implicit in like the imperfections of one's perception of oneself kind of like the dirt and the grime but the moment where eddie felson sort of says fuck this he sees himself in the reflection of the ball and he's seeing himself projected onto this thing that he cares about and is good at and is what his life is built around and is all that he has and it's almost it almost feels like a come to jesus moment (laughs) if we want to carry that forward where he's seeing himself through the purity of the game or the purity of the church and he's like this is not correct this is not what the game wants this is not what the game demands and that's where he sort of has this confessional realization where he's like i have to give him this money back i have to do this properly in terms of the game so i have to go to the green room where maybe people are lounging around the real winners are back here and we need to do this properly also can we just talk about the color the color green in this movie yeah like like the i don't know what film stock they're shooting on but the whole film has like this wonderful kind of like greenish hue and then of course you have like the green fluorescent pool lights with like the green glass wrapped around them and of course the reflection off like the felt the whole movie has like this wonderful like green grimy look yeah uh, again as the color of, of money well and i feel like it contrasts uh, well with a lot of like sort of gritty movies in especially i know this is the mid 80s by now but i feel like scorsese it's hard to ignore like a 70s sensibility in his work but i feel like the 70s are very yellow so this being yeah. green feels like a meaningful kind of distinction and even mm-hmm. in, when i mentioned earlier to also tie in the reflections when they're dancing around that pillar that mirrored pillar the room is green you know yeah it goes it, it goes deep um god that shot i want to bring it up again because it's just too fucking good um some of the camera movements are, are like remarkable like when when he's when he's like confronting himself and he's he's like standing in like the row of pool tables and the camera suddenly like cranes over like three or four like tables away from him it's and, like 
all of this is to say that I just I just can't wrap my head around the fact that like a lot of critics didn't like this movie. I it mean, doesn't make sense. Like, can we try to unpack that? Because, you know, I again, I haven't seen every fucking Martin Scorsese movie ever made. I don't know if this would be my favorite, but this is one of my favorite things I've seen. And I can't remember how long, like in terms of it did very specific things to me and how well, I felt while watching it. What if we what if we think about it not as a Martin Scorsese movie, because in the 80s he was big, but he didn't have as long of a pedigree as he does now. And what if we think of it as just a sequel to The Hustler? What do you think about that, Mitch? How do you think it relates? Well, to that's that's that what story? a lot of people. That's what a lot of people found is that, that it wasn't a, a good sequel to The Hustler. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's true at all. I think it's a great sequel to The Hustler. I, I think that the ending definitely upset it, probably upset a few people. But I think it's a very worthwhile uh, sequel. I think it, it definitely plays with the same themes, and um, I think it meaningfully develops Felson's character. So as someone who hasn't seen The Hustler then, and maybe you guys can elaborate a bit on the significance of this, but like, it had also been 25 fucking years. Like, the yeah. movie was going to feel different because a significant amount of time had passed. Yeah, like so many movies that when they there is like a twenty year gap with the sequel or whatever. Like if you look at like the sequel to Chinatown, like the the two the two Jakes, I don't think that that movie does it does like a sequel very well, or doesn't handle it as well as I think that this movie does. I think that like I can't imagine anybody other than Martin Scorsese doing this and doing this as well as he did. He's somebody who kind of like lived a bit of a rough life and somebody who you know lived in like these a lot of his movies are set in like dirty pool halls like think of mean streets or something right there's like that that one scene in the middle of the mean streets and like the middle of that like his 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 life was kind of um a bit a bit like that in his earlier years and in like these dirty uh thrifty pool hall places so yeah and so Liam then like where do you come down on i guess i know you haven't seen the hustler like recently but do you think that it's it's a boon for the movie that it might feel meaningfully different while also like working in the same themes and characters like because it had been so long? It's it's definitely the riskiest part of the movie and I think that that's what threw people off at the time, you know, going from 60s cinema to mid 80s cinema. It's definitely it's a movie that goes to a bit more places um not just like in terms of its uh, themes and its subject matter, but it um, it's just like it goes for, uh, to some different sets. It has a bit of a different flavor. Like at some point it feels like it's going to be a road movie and then it has what I would say is a more flashier climax than the original Hustler. And so it, it does feel different, but to me mm -hmm. it, feels, it feels very naturally different. I yeah. feel like this is this is who the dude in the hustler would be 25 years later. I don't think they, they just box him into like a Mr. Miyagi role, which I feared he would be. And I don't think that um, this is just a movie about passing the torch. I think this actually really focuses in on Eddie Felsen and, and where that character would be now. This dude who actually isn't uh, that confident, um, of a dude as he lets on and he's he actually he doesn't have it made for him by the end of the movie it's it, the original hustler is a, a very tragic movie and he's sort of an anti-hero where you're rooting for him but you also you know he's not uh, a typical, good like 
yeah, he's not a good person. He's not like a typical um, sports movie or action movie protagonist where he sort of does everything right and he's comes out on top. Rocky. Like he's not, yeah, he's not, he's not Rocky. And so this feels like, this feels like where he would be. I think this movie, this movie kind of does um, a lot with, with so many things in the way that Dr. Sleep does, I think, where it it's a very respectful continuation of something that was done a long time ago, but it's and, also not just fan service and it's not just trying to give us the most basic continuation. It actually it digs kind of deep and and goes to some places that that are a bit more complicated. And I think that makes it even more deserving of being a continuation. Yeah, and the original is a much is is a is a much darker movie, I think, and a more theatrical sort of sensibility. Um, this is definitely like more in the tradition of, of film, where I think the original Hustler is kind of it's more stagey. So, but, I have I have a question, and I don't know if this will actually be a factor here, but I'm wondering something because you know, Mitch, for example, you said you weren't sold on Tom Cruise right away, right? Like, that was something that you sort of realized later. And I'm thinking about what this movie is and its pedigree compared to where Tom Cruise was at in his career by that point. Which is, Top Gun had come out a couple months ago. And before that, he had done, like, all the right moves in, like, Risky Business and The Outsiders. And I'm wondering, like, did people have a hard time buying Tom Cruise in this? I have no idea. I I really would have to check and see what what the critics wrote about him at the time. Uh, had he had he done Born on the Fourth of July yet? No, that's point? that's not for a couple of years. So up to that point, okay. he had done Endless Love, Taps, The Outsiders, okay. Losing It, Risky Business, All the Right Moves, Legend, and Top Gun. Top Gun oh, had so come he... out three months prior. Okay, wow. But I'm no, thinking, I, coming I... off the heels of Top Gun, I feel like this character, as portrayed by Tom Cruise, doesn't feel like it carries baggage from his previous movies. But I'm wondering if what his previous movies had been influenced what people could see him doing in a Martin Scorsese movie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because people are very particular about how like legacy filmmakers are able to cast their movies for some reason. I feel like moviegoers are sometimes very precious about who can and can't be in a certain kind of movie. And I don't know like where he was at yet with that because he was still... I think he was 24 in this movie. Like, Yeah, I feel like he was still... I wouldn't go so far as to call him an unknown, but I feel like he wasn't. He had only known. just blown up, basically. Yeah, he had only. And, and Rain and Man was down the pipe, like Days of Thunder's down the pipe. A few good yeah. men is down the pipe. Like this is probably one of his more mature roles. I think if you if you put it like in, into that perspective, like with what he had been doing at that point in his career, like a few good men for sure. But I think that this is like well, and that was also a couple years later. That was six years later. Yeah, so I like this this has to be like for that point in his career, like the most the most mature role he was in. So yeah, I, I wonder if maybe maybe critics were like maybe thinking of him with their fucking risky business glasses on or something. I don't Could know. I'm, I'm just kind of theorizing pretty loosely at this point because I know that was his breakout, but like that's also a very specific kind of movie. Yeah, no. And, and very much isn't this. Um no. whereas even um Mary Elizabeth, uh, Master Antonio, as we've established, like, she was in fucking Scarface. Like, yeah. you know, like, she's been in movies where people would maybe be on the same mental wavelength as what The Color of Money is. 
Um, Definitely stylistically, I think Scarface and De Palma has is like a blood relative to to this kind of movie. Yeah, I think for sure. And I also think I'd love to see what this fucking movie looks like in the hands of Brian De Palma, but that's a whole different thing. That would be nuts. It would be fucking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) There'd be way more drugs. We have like the we have one scene where John Turturro is doing cocaine, but there would be a hundred of them, and it would be incredible. (laughs) Um, Is there anything else that we really want to get to? Because I do think that we could theoretically go scene by scene and talk about this movie all night. I think that would be pretty easily possible. However. Is there any stones that we feel like we have left unturned that really feel vital to getting to here? Like how good the poster is. The poster rules. The poster rules. Uh, like it's just like that like old style of yeah. poster where it's like, like all the characters are layered on top of each yeah, other. Yeah, well and, and it's hand painted oh. so it looks really nice. It just says yeah. Newman Cruz. Like and then it just says Paul Newman Tom Cruise. Like it says their names twice. Um, it's so nice you had to say it twice yeah it's a good slogan i can't remember what it is but the hustler isn't what he used to be but he has the next best thing a kid who is that's good that also perfectly encapsulates the whole fucking movie in like two sentences like yeah because really eddie felson only has the awakening where he feels like he's still capable of doing what he's doing because he sees tom cruise as someone who is doing what he was capable of doing He's like, oh, I bet I could still do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Great poster. $69.99 in stock on whatever website this is. <laughs> Good news. So, Corey, um, do you think you're going to seek out the hustler now? Oh, I have to. I, I had tried as to be distracted as little as possible while watching the movie. But at one point, I think I just texted you, pool is the greatest game ever made. <laughs> or something did, to yeah. that effect. You did. Um, yeah. This movie makes Pool seem like the most important thing that any human being has ever created. And I want to see more movies that present it as such. <laughs> yeah. It's like a religion. And like we said, and also like, it's it's pretty crazy to think that both Newman and Cruz shot most of their own shots, like in this game. Yeah. I think the only one that Cruz didn't do. Over John. Yeah. And I mean, I don't begrudge him that, but I'm just thinking about, you know, you're shooting the movie, right? I don't know. Maybe you're Martin Scorsese, so you don't have a finite amount of film, like the studio will get you film. But, you know, you only have so much in a camera, right? So hitting those shots matters when you're filming. So the idea that they were able to do that with the actors who themselves are not professionals is nuts to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, Newman had already done The Hustler and he did a lot of it by himself. Yeah, for sure. But like Cruz... I think it says he just had to buy a pool table and practice. Yeah, but, and it's just something to his kind of like integrity as an actor, like at, at that point in his career, that he was willing to to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, then yeah. he he was going to go far because I mean he does his own stunts. Yeah, uh, I mean you know that's what I was going to say. Uh, shooting your own pool shots is really only one or two steps removed from jumping from like above the atmosphere of the earth. No, but I'm I'm, I'm basically like, the take- same thing. Like taking that kind of time to learn to oh, yeah. like such a new I'm not, nuance. I'm not thing. trying to be smarmy. I mean it. It's just funny to see how far his doing his own stunts has gone. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's out of control. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think it definitely speaks to him as a as an actor, his ability to commit that into that way, outside of the actual like being on set to be like I have to do it. 
I want to know how much time he spent practicing all those fucking like nunchuck moves with the Q stick. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I love the I love the bit where he like gets in like not the fight with the guy with the hole in his throat, but the part where they like where they have to like run out of like it's just like in a quick montage. Yeah, where, like, he like pretty much like jumps on the table and screams at a bunch of guys and then runs out the front door. With, yeah, with with Newman and also yeah. the, the bit where Newman pretends to be his dad because he had all the money and then he just fucking runs upstairs. And he's like, I'm gonna see how this goes. Like, I want to see how he reacts when he's, like, backed into a corner. And the answer is he gets punched in the face a couple times. Oh, man. This movie's so good. Can we talk about John Turturro's shirts? Uh, or just, like, the wardrobe in general. Oh, the wardrobe movie. is fucking... First of all, Vincent literally has a shirt that just says Vince from his job. And it's the funniest yeah, thing in the world. And obviously, it leans into, like, his character. As they, as they say, he's like, don't change the shirt. It's a good touch. You're the kind of now you're the kind of yeah. guy in the pool hall who wears a shirt with his own name on it, but like Paul Newman's fresh to death, obviously. And yeah, Tom, he's never made old man Steve's look so. Good. And then Tom Cruise obviously has that like younger man kind of like leather jacket, one earring eighties yeah. thing going on, which but is great. In Atlantic City, he wears like a sweater with like shoulder pads. Yeah, like, yeah, and like and like elbow patches. Yeah, and um, then. Uh, Carmen is also just like fresh as hell whole movie. But the one thing I can't forget is that when uh, Eddie is playing John Turturro and he's in that white, John Turturro is wearing that like white and black collared shirt at the end of the movie. It's just fucking wild. It's just such a look, dude. Yeah, no, Uh, whoever did that, I don't have no idea who did the wardrobes, but I I wouldn't be surprised if it was somebody who collaborated with Marty for a long time because he was like yeah. So we, we talked about um what our what our pool hall names would be. Do oh. we do we have those yet? I kind of forgot to think about it because I got wrapped up in the movie. But we should do that right now. Okay. Did, did anybody Everybody... did anybody come up with one yet? Other than Liam, who's the butcher? I mean, it's it's just on you two. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna go with like corner pocket Kadrowski. Or... Oh, yeah. Well, you've done it. You're done. Mission accomplished. Right. I need one now. Uh, now I feel like I have to live up to the butcher and corner pocket Kudrowski. How am I going to do that? I want to, do I do a play on my last name? Because like, I don't know, I feel like Price has legs. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, Help me think hurt. about this. My advice would be to not think of it like a wrestling name in case you ever need to leave town with all the money in your pocket. You want it to be as separated from you as possible. But... Yours but you do have a catchy a, enough name. You have is, a catchy enough name that you could tie it in. Yeah, but yours minute, is literally the butcher. That's a wrestling name if I've ever heard one. Only, <laughs> if, only if only if there's a name before it and after it. Oh the, the right. Petawawa kid. <laughs> yeah, that one's pretty good. Uh, the Petawawa prince. <laughs> that's fucking ridiculous i like that because i feel like atlantic city is precisely the kind of place where people show up and care about where they came from yeah like they're like oh i'm here in atlantic city but i came here from uh i came here from kalamazoo i'm just thinking of like the you know like the steve mcqueen movie the cincinnati kid that's really good yeah it's a the petawawa prince that's a good name is it too long is petawawa too many syllables the prince of petawawa the prince is pretty good. The I mean, prince. Oh, yeah. What about what about just the prince? <laughs> that's, what my, that's, what, that's what my family calls me. <laughs> Are you fucking little Lord Fulton? Do you right? pay the them fuck? to do that? <laughs> no, I just sit around and do nothing. <laughs> 
You do nothing. I do. You I sit like around, do nothing, boy. and you indulge. Because, <laughs> dude, the prince is only one letter removed from your last name. So, like, the trail is there if people want to look hard enough. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. So. Oh, and you also got to you got to keep in mind that it's got to be writable on the blackboard at the pool hall where yeah. you keep well, score. Like, think about it. Like, fast Eddie Felsen, so good. Like, yeah. it's so simple. Minnesota Fats. Minnesota Fats is an all fucking timer. Obviously, that name was so good a real man stole it. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I go to play, I take the cash. <laughs> Can you can you sample can you sample that clip in in this video? Yeah, wait, can you link me to that clip? Yeah, I'll send it to you. Okay. So Liam, are you familiar with Minnesota Fats, the real person? I am, but I like I in that I know he exists. I haven't heard him say what Mitch just said. Oh, if that's there's, what there's, there's, a, there's a Sega Genesis game. Like he was he was huge. So um Mitch, who was he playing? So Minnesota uh, Fats playing, was playing uh Willie Moscone. Willie Moscone. Willie, Moscone talked a bunch of a trash because Minnesota Fats like took his name, the character from the Hustler, and Moscone like pretty much beefed him. So then they had like a fifteen thousand dollar game in like nineteen eighty broadcast they, on they, ABC, like yeah, where they played over over like this famous beef that they had, and and Fat like destroyed Moscone, but he, he nobody talks about trash. Him and there's this tremendous clip, and Corey's gonna play it. Yeah. Oh, wicked. Yeah, I need to check that out. After watching some clips of The Hustler on YouTube yesterday, I did notice that that hour and a half long game was recommended to me. If I okay, if I'll... I play the clip, it will just be part of the episode. And that's got to be fair use, right? Uh... Yeah, you're good. Yeah, that's probably fair use. <laughs> and so there's a YouTube video called Minnesota Fats Doesn't Care About Distractions While Playing Pool. Everybody open it up. We'll sync it up and then everybody can hear this clip with us. It will just record into the episode. How about that? Oh my goodness, I just realized the YouTube guy who posted this is called Fast Lenny 69. Hell yeah, First in the description says good old Fats, what a character. Okay, I'm ready. Are you re- Mitch, are you ready? Yeah. Are we doing the whole minute long clip? We just listen to it? Fuck it, who yeah. cares? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Three, two, one, play. Game to none. Moscone likes total quiet. Fats Moscone likes to destroy likes the opponent total with quiet. Talk. Thus this earlier conversation. Is it going to be possible under our rules of procedure for you to remain quiet while Willie shoots. He, of course, has to remain quiet me, while you shoot. Let me tell you a secret. I can play as if I was deaf and dumb. I can play if you was had a gang war in the joint. It don't mean nothing to me. Whatever you want to do, I do it nice. And when I leave, I leave with the cash. You understand? I don't care what goes on. I wouldn't care if they were shooting bow and arrows or having a Western movies. And that don't bother me. You understand? 99 out of 100 pool players, you ain't allowed to breathe. Guy was playing a world championship at a match, and a guy in the back, he's shooting him. The whole table's open, and some sucker took a cigarette out of his mouth like this. He ain't even supposed to see it. And he says, good heavens. My God, did you see what that, what'd he do to me? I said, what'd he do to you? I was sitting right there. He said, you see, just I'm going to let go? He took a cigarette. I said, well, if I were you, I'd play in a wax museum, and then if anybody moves, then I'd get out of town. (laughs) <laughs> that's when amazing. i leave i leave with the cash what a legendary wisecrack has there been a biopic made about this man i i hope so if there is i will track it down and watch it like tonight i mean th- that should th- be there that was that a sega be, genesis game that should be martin scorsese's <laughs> return to pool he honestly do that. A, a sega genesis game is just as good 
You know, I'm thinking about it. If we want Martin Scorsese to also do a horse movie, what if he just did a movie about polo? That's basically pool and horses. I'd be down for that. And croquet. Hell yeah. But the big three. Pool, horses, and croquet. The holy trinity. (laughs) Okay, so I feel like this episode's maybe getting away from us a little bit. And I support that. But as I think I've asked 20 minutes ago... Is there anything else that we really think we want to get to here, or should we wrap it up because it has nearly been two hours? Yeah, I think we should wrap. Okay, so final closing thoughts on the color of money, Mitch. Oh, I'm like I was really pleasantly surprised with this movie. I mean, I, I it shouldn't have been a surprise because of like the you know the amount of like talent that was being poured in, but I had kind of like tainted my perception. I read some things about it that I shouldn't have read. Don't read anything about this movie before you see it. Just go in and, and see it. Yeah, well, um, that's what I just said to you yesterday, actually, where I was worried about reading too much and like influencing how I felt about it. I didn't realize I that read, was going to be a factor. I read this like years before. Sure. And um, and. Yeah, so I just never got around to seeing it, and I'm really glad that you know this show like provided an opportunity for me to do it or an excuse to do it. Um, I watched The Hustler like a couple of weeks ago, which I really loved, and I was like, I gotta see this sequel. But I wasn't like super optimistic, but man, oh man. I don't think I like as much as I like The Hustler. But they're just so different from each other that it's really I wouldn't. It's not a comparison you can make, but definitely ten out of ten. See the color of money. It's one of the best movies I've seen in a while. Yeah. Liam, closing thoughts on The Color of Money. Captivating, man. It's a really captivating movie. It's uh, just the kind of drama movie um, with a hook that I'm able to latch on to really quickly. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a sports movie. It's a drama movie. Hey, I, I might even call it a coming-of-age movie, Corey. It's, it's just the kind of movie that I really, really dig. Uh, it's in color, which, which is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. All good movies are in color. Yeah, it's it's just it's totally it's great. And I'm so glad we did it for this podcast because uh, it's certainly not the kind of movie we get to a lot. Um, I think the closest we've gotten to a movie like this is when we cover the um, more recent theatrical stuff. Like I think Dr. Sleep is pretty close. It's kind of a common thing nowadays to revisit something from the 30 year ago past and update it and see where those characters are now you know we see it with creed and the new halloween with jamie lee curtis and um it's kind of a modern concept so i understand why critics had a tough time dealing with this in the 80s because a movie like that that has so much um so much like lineage behind it it's it's kind of tough to deal with and i think that's it's it's really good for this podcast because what we're all about here is kind of looking at a movie separate from the baggage of its history as best we can and just and just seeing how it holds up as a movie and so i think it's fascinating that this movie existed in the 80s because if it didn't exist then you know i would bet that that we would get a sequel in some way or another to the hustler in the 10 20 years following it so i'm super glad we got to see this movie i think it's super cool that it's out there and it's crazy that we're now like about as far from it as it was from the hustler i guess we're even further um but i I think it's great um great movie i would absolutely check it out regardless whether you've seen The Hustler or not, um, all those movies I, 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 I mentioned before, Social Network, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Rocky, I think it's similar to all those movies, and I, just, I think it's a, it's a really quick two hours. Oh, yeah, and I think we're also just so lucky that this 
is a fucking oh, Martin yeah. Scorsese movie. Like, we're not going to get that all the time. Hell, this might be our only one that has this kind of pedigree as well. And just filmmaking ability is rare for us to come across, even in our favorite things on this show. So, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, stick with me, kid. I can think of some other, uh, some other good ones. <laughs> oh, well, you'll be back. But I think uh, I want to make clear for everybody, actually, that next time we have Mitch on, I think we're bringing him down to the dregs with the rest of us. I think Uh-oh. we're going to make him sit through a real humdinger of a film and uh, something that's a little less uh, a little less of the uh, classy fare that we're used to getting with him from uh, this and uh, Cat People and French Connection too. So oh, no. everybody gear up for that. And, um, you know, if you're sitting at home and you don't got anything else going on, which most of us don't right now, it's like four bucks to rent the color of money on YouTube. It's a really good way to spend four bucks. So I oh, highly recommend it. Totally good. It's like the best like sports movie you never knew you had to see. Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm going to swear by this movie like for the rest of my life. I'm, I can't wait to watch it again, honestly. Yeah, I could have yeah, watched it again right after finishing it. I might watch it again tonight. Hell yeah, dude. I have to go to work soon, so I don't think I have that luxury. But it might not be that far from now where I do it again. And... Speaking of people doing things again, thank you all once again for listening to an episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes of the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, and I don't have a good joke for this week, so it's fine, as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and your favorite outfit from the color of money. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And Mitch, we do this every time and I've never remembered. Do you have stuff you want to plug? Where can people find you? Uh, nothing to plug yet, but uh, have me back in a couple of episodes. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, so if you guys are looking for more Mitch in your lives, you may get that chance in not too long from now. Big things are happening, but thank you so much for having me on the show. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like I always sort of unintentionally bowl over your thanking us because it feels like an unnecessary formality, but we're always happy to have you on. This is round three. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so you know, good things come in threes, which is why the next movie has to be atrocious to really (laughs) round things out. I don't know. French Connection Two. Yeah, let's not rewrite history here. French Connection. French Connection Two might have been old, but it was bad. Well, here's the thing. It's. I'm not saying it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like Blair Witch Two bad. Uh, yeah but the thing is dude i don't know if we can find another blair witch too if we try maybe we'll try to set mitch up and then it'll turn out you know i don't know we saw we turn him on to wrong turn six or something (laughs) yeah what if wrong turn six i'm uh, I'm never coming back i'm never coming back Uh, he's he's hightailing it out of town somebody's gonna be flipping through a newspaper and there's gonna be the results from a billiards tournament and they're just gonna see corner pocket kudrowski on the tag and they're gonna be like i found him he's been (laughs) discovered you've been using an alias Anyway, um, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price, or you can look me up on the pool circuit as the prince, and um, you can catch us here next week for more. They made another one. (laughs) Uh, The prince is really good.
The prince is really good. Corner pocket Kodrowski's fucking perfect. <laughs> and then you're just the butcher. Like, what a fucking motley crew of dumbasses. <laughs>